Well, we are uh, in Ephesians 4. This is uh, the third week in our sermon series entitled uh, The Body of Christ. Um, And so this week specifically what we're going to be looking at is the role of church leadership. Last week we looked at membership and what it means to be a member of the church. Uh, This week we're going to be talking about church leadership and really there's, it's hard to talk about church leadership without going back and talking about membership uh, because they're intimately woven together in purpose and identity. And so um, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, um, this beautiful overview of church leadership and, and, and how it connects with church members. Uh, and so I want to start with just a quick story, though, because um, I think that if we're not careful, we'll hear the words church leadership and then 95% of the room checks out. So uh, I was, uh, I was actually at a car dealership last year uh, with my boys, and I was getting the oil changed. So I went into uh, the, the guest lobby. It was one of those, those really nice dealerships that has a really nice guest lobby, um, not just your average folding chairs, like leather recliners with cup holders, uh, snack machines there for you. It was a really nice little place. And so I took the boys in there, waiting on the car, uh, waiting on the oil to get changed. And we're sitting there. And as we're sitting there, um, as any good parent will do, I hand my phone to my kids so they can get some good screen time in because we know that's edifying. And, uh, and I grabbed like Time Magazine and started reading an article. I remember what the article was about because shortly after I opened Time Magazine, something caught my eye on the floor just to my right was the biggest Texas-sized roach I'd ever seen Upside down on its back, just laying there, dead, right? And so the more I tried to ignore it, the more I saw it. And so I sat there for a few minutes, you know, thinking somebody should do something about this. I'm not going to, right? I'm a customer, right? That's not my job. And so I'm watching employee after employee walk through this lounge, make eye contact with the dead roach, and then continue walking. And I, so I started playing a game. Uh, how many employees is it going to take before somebody stops to pick up the dead roach? And so um, I actually lost count because um, what happened next. So um, another customer comes and sits down. It's a lady. She sits down in the chair, and I'm wondering, I'm going to see what happens when she sees the roach, see if she wigs out. And so I'm, I'm watching her as I'm pretending to read my magazine, and I see her, like, make eye contact with the roach, and she, like, grabs the armrest, and she doesn't know what to do. And then another employee walks by, but instead of just letting the employee walk by, she stops the employee and says, sir, come here, come here. There is a dead roach on the floor, and somebody needs to pick that up. And the employee's response to her was, that's not my job. And then went on his way back to work. Now, I'm sharing that with you because I think that many of us make that same mistake in church. When we hear the words ministry or church leadership, our temptation is to check out right now and to think that this is a conversation between the pastor and somebody else, right? To make that same assumption about ministry that that's not my job. Somebody else is responsible for that, but it's not me. And my hope and really a favor I'm gonna ask of you right now is to not check out. That through the word, I'm gonna, my hope is that you're able to see that that's not at all the church that God has created. And, uh, and my hope and my prayer for you is that some of you, even sitting here today, are future church leaders. Now we're going to start in Ephesians 4 verse 11. Let's do this. Let's read this together. Verse 11. And he... As Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, to start with, this passage of Scripture, as the Apostle Paul writes this to the church, in verse 11, uh, he categorizes church leadership by saying this, he, being Christ, gave to the church these roles, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Now, I don't think this is an exhaustive list of all the leadership roles. Paul just wants the church to, to think about church leaders, and church leaders have been given to the church as a gift. When we think about the different roles in church, especially in church leadership, when you take a step back from this passage of Scripture, you look at all of the counsel of God, and you ask yourself, what are the roles in the church? What is church leadership supposed to look like? What you're going to get is, is this. There are really two distinct offices or roles within the church that represent church leadership. The first is what we call the elders, okay? Uh, elders is interchangeable in the New Testament with pastors, um, which is the word for shepherds. Uh, it's interchangeable for the word overseers, which means to oversee. Um, and then the word elder. Some translations will have the word bishop, okay? So you have that role in the church. The elders, which is synonymous with pastors and overseers, are godly men who serve in humility and wisdom to lead the church in godly character and shepherding hearts through prayer, counsel, biblical teaching, and decision-making. It's a clear and distinct role in the church. Whether you're talking about elders or overseers or pastors, that's all the same role. Now, the second role is the role of the deacon. And we get this clear distinction in 1 Timothy chapter 3. First seven verses, Paul says to Timothy, here's what an elder overseer looks like. Then in verse 80, shifts to deacons. And so here's what deacons are. Deacons are, and it varies from church to church, they're either men or they're men and women. In our church, it's men and women. Deacons are godly men and women who set the example for other believers by serving as lead servants, helping to organize and lead the ministries of the church. And later on, I'll talk about specifically who the deacons and deaconesses are here at Solid Rock. But those are the two roles you have in the church. And so what I want us to see here is what Paul says about these leaders and why they were given to the church. What is their job? What are they supposed to be doing? So we go back to verse 11. 
And he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip. Okay? So these roles, these church leaders are given to the church as a gift to equip. So we have to ask the question, to equip whom and for what? Who are these church leaders equipping and what are they being equipped for? And so in verse 12, we read, these leaders are given to equip the saints. Now this takes us back to last week. Who are the saints? Well, these are the super spiritual people in the church, right? When they walk in, the angels sing, right? These are the super spiritual people. That's why we call them saints. No, that's not at all what Paul had in mind. You know who Paul's talking about? Every member. Everybody we talked about last week who has crossed the threshold of devotion in the church, right? So not just an average attender. We're talking about believers who have crossed the threshold of devotion and said, I'm devoted to Jesus and I'm devoted to you, right? These are the saints. Now, you may not have walked into church today thinking that about yourself, especially if you're married. There's a good chance you didn't act like a saint this morning on your way to church or at least within the last 24 hours, right? We don't typically think of ourselves as saints, but this is what the Bible calls you if you're saved. You're a saint. Me, a saint? Yeah, why? Because of the work Jesus has done for you and in you, you are a saint. So that's who the leaders are equipping. Like all of us, right? All the members of the church are being equipped for something. So what are we being equipped for? Well, verse 12 really clearly says it. For what? For the work of ministry. Now, wait a second. I thought that's what staff was for. I thought that's what elders are for. But what Paul is saying is that the saints are supposed to be doing the work of ministry. So we get this beautiful picture of of church life, leaders humbly serving the saints, the members, equipping them for what? the work of ministry. Now, I want to talk through just for a minute about leader qualifications because surely, right, there are certain qualifications that you need to have if you're going to serve as an elder. We don't just pull names out of a hat, right? So 1 Timothy chapter 3 is one place you can go to where qualifications are, are listed. You go to Titus chapter one, same thing. Titus is a pastor and Paul writes to Titus and says, here's the qualifications you need to be looking for for church leaders. Let me give you a summary of these qualifications. So when we talk about church leaders, we're talking about believers who strive to live free from accusation. Think about that. You strive to live free from accusation and worthy of respect and in good reputation inside and outside of the church. We're not talking about pretending to be something you're not. We're talking about striving to authentically be a person who can't be accused of anything. And so in an accusation, if it's made against you, you're quick to go seek it out in humility and to find out, have I offended somebody? Have I sinned against somebody? Because if so, I'm anxious to know it, to own it, to repent of it. We're not talking about perfect people. We're talking about people who strive to have a good reputation inside and outside the church. We're also talking about believers who live faithful in marriage or if they're single, in singleness. That's what we're talking about here. 
It comes across as, in 1 Timothy 3, as a husband of one wife we're talking about, is, is a believer, right, who who's, who's pursues the relationship with their spouse in such a way that you know these people are married and they're devoted and committed to one another and no one else. Faithful in marriage or in singleness. And we're also talking about a believer, listen to this, who displays self-control in thought and in speech and in actions. Self-control and thoughts, speech and actions, which are all directly connected to one another. Uh, we're talking about a believer who does not drink alcohol to the point of, of, of excess or drunkenness or addiction. Okay, that's just the biblical expectation, that you're not giving yourself over to addiction or giving yourself over to drunkenness. I'm not saying you don't drink, that's between you and the Lord, but right, a church leader, a believer who's not given themselves over to drunkenness or addiction. I'm talking about a believer who is gentle with people and not easily angered. Gentle and not easily angered. We're talking about a believer who is not a lover of money. I'm not saying a believer who doesn't have money. We're saying a believer who's not in love with money. We're talking about believers who manage their own households well and believers who exhibit mature godliness, humility, and sound doctrine. Now, this is just a summary of what we read in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, these biblical qualifications for a leader. Now, I want you to hear something here. Every person who is in Christ is on a spiritual journey of transformation. We call this sanctification, and it's a process. So... If you're sitting here today and you hear that list and you go, well, I'm not qualified to be a leader, that may be true, but that is not your static identity. It's not who you are, and it's certainly not who you're becoming. So just because, if hypothetically, you're disqualified today, that doesn't mean a year from now, after Christ works in your life and heart, that you won't be qualified. You follow me? So this is not a static identity because every believer's in a process here. The second thing is this, is that from time to time, sometimes church leaders become disqualified. If you've been in church long enough, you may have seen this happen. Something happens, somebody makes a big mistake or um, you know, maybe is, is, is living this alternate lifestyle um, in the backdrop and then it's discovered. So what happens there, and I would say the same thing here. That's even happened here at Solid Rock where somebody has to be asked to step down from leadership because of disqualifications, because of the clear biblical qualifications. So what I want you to hear about this is that, that in each of these cases, almost every time, the hope of the church should be that that person would step down, again, not static, but step down into the process of restoration. That one day they could be restored back into church leadership. Right, because why? Because it's not their static identity just because you're not meeting these expectations in your life today, that does not determine who you are in Christ, because in Christ we believe what? Think about that whole list. Isn't that the spiritual trajectory of every believer? That we would have a good reputation inside and outside the church, we wouldn't be living this facade life, that we'd be living in transparency and authenticity, and that we wouldn't be given to drunkenness and not lovers of money, and, and loving our spouses well, and managing our own households well. Like This isn't a spiritual trajectory for this super spiritual elite people in the church, every believer is headed here. 
Hear, hear this, church. Every Christian is on the spiritual journey of being transformed into a believer who meets all these qualifications. And, and, and I get it. Right now in your life, you might think, that sounds overwhelming. That's not who I am today. I'm disqualified to be considered a leader. That might be true today, but listen, in Christ, that is not who you are. God is working in you and on you. Now, here's something that we're seeing come out of this passage that is so important. When we read that leaders in the church are given to the church to equip whom? The saints, the members, to do the work of ministry, right, we begin to get an image of church in our mind that at times can look different from the church world around us today. And, and I get it. There is this, there's something attractive about going to a church where the pastor or the staff are highly gifted, right? A place where you feel like you're being fed, right? That's, there's something attractive about that. I want to go where the leaders of the church are really highly gifted so that I can receive ministry, but that's not what verse 12 says. The church, churches aren't meant to be organizations that are led by gifted elders and staff who do the work of ministry. Churches are meant to be thriving communities of gifted members doing the work of ministry, Leadership exists in the church to equip the body to do ministry. Here's what that means. Listen, Christians, you are both called and gifted to ministry. And for, for some of us, that's a foreign concept. I'm called, I'm gifted to ministry. No, I'm gifted to do whatever I do for a living. I have these personality traits, but ministry? Yes, you are called and gifted, supernaturally gifted to do the work of ministry. Let's talk for a minute about what it looks like to be equipped for ministry. What are, the, what are these church leaders doing to set you up to do ministry well? Because we hear the word equip and like we think training seminars or training classes, like that can be a small part of it, but let's set that aside. What are some of the ways you are being equipped for ministry? I love that in uh, Titus, the book of Titus, Paul is writing to Titus, telling him to put church leaders in place. Uh, in chapter one, he says, here, put in place what remains, put elders in place, and here are the qualifications. But the very first verse of the next chapter, here's what Paul says to Titus, the pastor. Verse one, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Right, so it's so important that a church is committed to teaching sound doctrine. Why? Because that's part of equipping. That's why we allow the Bible to set the precedence for our worship services. This is why Jason Martin started today before he ever sang a song by reading from Romans chapter 8. Because we want the scriptures to be a foundation that roots us to something solid and firm. And so part of the way you are equipped is by being taught sound doctrine, whether that's here on Sunday mornings, the songs that we sing, or that's in community group and those discussions, or it's in men's and women's ministry. It's why we don't just lay out a blank check to our community groups and say, go study whatever you want. The vast majority will find really good items, books to read and studies to go through. But as leaders, we're called to shepherd you, to teach you sound doctrine. And so we wanna be a part of that process 
of making sure that you're exposing yourself, your heart, your soul to things that are true. So teaching sound doctrine is one way we equip the saints for ministry. Um, another way in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, again, written from Paul to a pastor, he says this to Timothy. I, I memorized this in the NIV, so I'll just share it the way that, that I read it in the NIV. Don't let anybody look down on you because you are young, but instead set an example for believers in faith and life, love, or life, love, faith, and purity. And so another way that church leaders equip the saints is by setting the example. So this is not a paradigm where the church leaders sit on the sidelines and give commands and instructions and don't do anything. This is a paradigm where the church leadership is engaged in ministry. Why? Because they're believers too. They're called and equipped too, and they're inviting the church into the trenches of ministry. I've shared this before. If you've rewind the Solid Rock story about 10 years ago, it would not be uncommon to drive by the church at midnight and see at least one vehicle in the parking lot. For example, you might have driven by on a Friday night and, uh, and seen Billy Warren's truck out here at midnight. Why? Because he just finished his football games and, uh, and he's out here watering flowers at midnight. True story, right? Setting the examples, right? Saying, listen, I'm, I'm not just asking you to serve. I'm setting that example, wouldn't be uncommon to come by and, on a Saturday morning and, and to see Larry's truck here parked here for like six hours during the day as he's balancing the checkbook and, and making sure that everything uh, is, is balancing out and every penny is accounted for. Right, so church leaders who aren't barking orders but instead are serving in ministry, again, because as believers we're all called and gifted, and they're inviting the church to join them in the trenches of ministry by setting the example. 1 Timothy 4.12, 1 Timothy 4.14, this is just a few verses later, um, Paul tells Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And so the elders should be part of the process of you discovering your spiritual gifts. That's what happened for Timothy. Paul said, hey, remember that? The elders prayed over you, laid hands over you, and they called out this gifting in you. Don't neglect that gift. So like here at the church, we're gonna, in a, in a few months, we're actually gonna go through a whole sermon series on spiritual gifts. So I'll save a lot of that discussion for then. Um, but we have a spiritual gift analysis we use here at the church, but here's what we want you to hear us say. That's just the way to start the conversation. Just filling out a questionnaire does not determine what your spiritual gifts are. You need, you need spiritual leaders, community group leaders, Bible study leaders, staff, ministers, pastors, elders, involved in that conversation, helping you see the supernatural gifting in your life that you may not otherwise see. And so this is what happens for Timothy. And so that's one way that, the, the, that leadership is equipping the saints. First uh, Peter chapter five, we get this beautiful imagery of what it looks like. This is verse one, Peter's writing, one of the apostles. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So Peter's saying, hey, listen, elders, listen, I'm one of you. And here's what I want you to do. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherding, caring for, spending time with, being patient with all the people in your church. Shepherd the flock, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, 
not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. I love that phrase, not domineering. That's a, it's definitely a misunderstanding of church leadership. It's really a, 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 a twisted understanding of any kind of leadership, even outside of the church. Domineering, that idea that I'm going to use my strength or my competency to overpower you to get you to do what I want. Peter said, hey, elders, you don't, you don't shepherd that way. You lead like shepherds in humility, setting the example. And he says in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, who's that? Is, who is it? It's Jesus himself. So when Jesus shows up, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility and love for humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble and these are just some examples of what equipping looks like here's some here's some ways that plays out practically here at at solid rock Um, starting in kids ministry we believe we are equipping the saints for ministry just one example from kids ministry Um, on Wednesday nights starting this year we've changed some things up our Wednesday night kids small groups are led by kids there's an adult in the room who is a facilitator who's helping equip the kiddos. But what we want is we want students leading their peers. That means in the third grade small group, if you were to walk in in the middle, you would see a third grader asking questions and facilitating discussion with his or her peers. And then when they get to prayer time, you would see a, a third grader, a first grader, a second grader, a fifth grader facilitating prayer requests. Some of you are going, that sounds like our community group. Yeah, Exactly. Right? We're equipping the next generation to walk in biblical community with one another. We do, we do small groups in our, in our junior high and high school ministry. Some of you guys come and you, why don't we break into small groups? Because we want you to see what it looks like to walk in biblical community with your peers. To help encourage and lead one another, pray for one another. Uh, our community group ministry has already been mentioned. That is a way that we equip the saints for ministry if it's whether it's going through sermon-based discussion or just drinking coffee on Tuesday morning to talk about, you know, something that got mentioned in community group and praying for one another. Community groups is a way we equip um, the saints for ministry. We also do some specialized training. We do counseling one-on-one. We've had a marriage counseling training class. We do some training. It's just not the primary way we do it. Uh, men's and women's Bible studies. Um, we also have internships. Um, you may not even be aware of this. Uh, internships. I don't know if, is Casey, are you up there working right now? I think he's in the other building, isn't he? In the other building, yeah. So we've got a, a, a worship intern right now, Casey, who's helping uh, to equip our kids and our students uh, working with those ministries to build up that worship ministry. So we have internships here. Um, we have pastoral residencies. This is where Nick came out of this. Nick was graduating from seminary, was new to the church, and he came into our pastoral residency, which is a one-year mentorship program. And now, look, he's on staff. He's our community missions pastor. Uh, We have unpaid staff positions from time to time. We know we have a need. We need a leader in the place doing something. We don't have money to pay them. So we we write up a job description, and they have to go through an interview. It's so much fun. Yes, we want you to do all this work, and here's the best part. We're not paying you anything. And if you do a really good job, we'll double your salary next year. Yeah, and, and people apply for these positions. Uh, Jennifer Henderson's serving. She just came on board in our communica- as a communications 
uh, manager, and we have different people from time to time serving as unpaid staff positions. Again, this is part of the process of cultivating leadership and equipping the saints for ministry. Uh, our deacons and deaconesses, which are our community group leaders and our team leaders, there's an interview process for that. Um, if you're a community group leader, every time you have a meeting, Nick asks you a question, and it goes something like this. Are there any potential leaders in your group that I'm not aware of? Why does he ask that question? First of all, because we believe the Bible and we believe that God is going to raise up leaders from within. Right? And he's asking that question because we want to know who they are so that we can step in and kind of cultivate that leadership gifting and do what? Equip them. Right? So they're not just stepping from, yeah, I'm willing to do this the next week leading community group. Like we want to equip them to do that and to do it well. And then, of course, our elder candidacy process. I mean, you have to be a member here for a certain number of years, meet all these qualifications, and then you still have to go through a year-long interview process before you're brought on board as, as an elder. And these are just some of the ways that we are cultivating leadership here at, at Solid Rock. Now, I want you to understand something. And let's ask the question this way. Where did these leaders come from? Because this is where there's some misunderstanding in the church. This is where a lot of us check out. Where do pastors come from? Where do ministers come from? Where do elders come from? Where do deacons and deaconesses come from? Here's the misunderstanding. When I was born, um, there, there wasn't a host of angels there meeting my mother and singing. Okay? Um, I was born into kind of a rough situation. Shortly after, when I was very young in age, dad left, went to prison, was raised by a single mom. Was born, I was, so I was raised in a fatherless, Christless home. I didn't make the who's who's among the next generation pastors. Right? Wasn't, wasn't my aspiration as a 13-year-old boy. Mom never pulled me aside and said, well, you're going to make a great pastor one day. I can see it in you. So what happened? Some of you know my story. You know how I got involved in church? Teenagers, just transparency right here. I was looking for girls. Isn't there a country song? I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. Yeah, and I found it. And his name is Jesus. I went to church camp because I heard there were going to be a lot of girls there. Yeah, and Jesus met me there, and I fell madly and deeply in love with him as a 15-year-old boy. was not on my radar. And then I came back home. And I started attending the church. I was like, this, this is cool. I want some more of this. And there were godly men in the church, a pastor and a deacon who spent time with me, who took me fishing and took me hunting and invited me over to, to teach me how to grill hamburgers. I still remember my pastor taught me how to grill hamburgers where they recognized a void in my life of male leadership and they invested in me. And it was these same men who had, at the right time spoken in my life and said, Jason, I don't know if you ever considered this or not, but I see leadership potential in you. I see pastoral potential in you. They had to call it out of me. I didn't see it. So like when we think about leadership, you know, in the world around us, leadership can be inerrant, born with it personality right? Driven, take charge, personalities. But when we talk about leadership in the church, hear me on this, we were talking about cultivating souls, pouring into one another, sharpening one another, calling one another to a higher standard, and calling out giftings in one another. And this is the way the church is supposed to work.
So what is all this about? Why? Why do leaders exist? To equip the saints. Why are we equipping the saints to do the work of ministry? Why are we doing ministry? I love that we have yet to get to the main point of the passage. We haven't even gotten there yet. What's the main point that Paul is getting at here? Is Paul calling the church to be a bunch of busybodies? Everybody get busy, roll up your sleeves and work. Or is he after something? Is he leading us somewhere? Look at what he says over and over again. Listen to these phrases. Here's why church leaders are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Four, starting in verse 12. Four, building up the body of Christ. It's how the church is built up. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen, that's where we are headed, church. Church growth is not filling seats. That's called gathering a crowd, and that's not very hard. You put the right dynamics in place, and you can draw a crowd. But we're talking about growth here. We're talking about cultivating souls here, and we get this beautiful description of a unity of faith centered around the person and the work of Jesus. Now, here's what that means, twofold. One, a church that is growing will have a unity in faith in our doctrine. Not everything theologically, but the, non, the non-negotiable essentials we will be unified on. And, you, and the more we grow in Christ, the more unified we will be on that doctrine. Second to that, as we become unified in this doctrine, we will become unified in godly character. And we will begin to collectively look like Christ. This is not an individual mandate to the Christian. Go out there and be like Jesus. Paul's saying, listen, if the church is going to look like Christ, here's how it's going to work. Jesus gave the church leaders. The leaders are cultivating and equipping saints to do ministry. When the saints do ministry, the church is built up in unity, in faith, and in Christ-like character. Well, what's at risk? What if we don't do that? He says it right here. Look. Verse 14, here's what's at risk, so that we may no longer be children. So he uses mature manhood as a metaphor. Like he's speaking to women too. He's just talking about like like being a mature person, but that's not where we start as Christians, is it? We start as toddlers or infants. He's saying if this doesn't happen, the church will remain as children, and here's what will happen. We will be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Every latest and greatest idea that rolls off our culture's tongue will become our latest and greatest idea, and we'll be tossed to and fro like kids, never really knowing what we believe at any given moment or time. And Paul's calling the church to be anchored in Christ, not tossed about, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Listen to this description in verse 16. In whom the whole body, he's using the human body again as an illustration, from whom the whole body joined and held together. That sounds like church membership, doesn't it? So we talked about last week, our devotion to one another. So every member of the body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped When each part is working properly, here's what happens. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
my job as a pastor is not to build you up, spiritually speaking. I can't do that. I can't make you grow spiritually. We can spend every waking hour of every day together, and I can't cause spiritual growth to happen in your life. But here's what I can do. I can shepherd you, and I can equip you to do ministry. And as we do that as leaders and and other people being equipped to do ministry, here's what happens to the body. We grow up together into maturity. Again, the church is not meant to be an organization with gifted pastors and elders. The church is meant to be a thriving community of gifted members doing the work of ministry. Here's what I want you to hear today. There's a really good chance, high probability, somebody is sitting in here today that did not walk into church today feeling like they were a church leader or that God would ever call them to lead one day. Okay, I've been there. Kind of freaked me out when somebody said, hey, I see leadership potential in you. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're gonna ask me to speak in front of people? I can't do that. By the way, that's one of my greatest phobias, what I'm doing right now. That's, yeah, that's called gifting of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I'd be sitting out there hiding like some of you are, right? And so you didn't walk in here today going, man, I hope he talks about leadership because I'm ready to jump in, roll up my sleeves and be a leader. Okay, it's not how it works. Right now, though, the Holy Spirit is stirring in you. The Holy Spirit is telling you that what the Bible said is true. If you're in Christ, you're gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve, to lead, We're all called on the spiritual trajectory to these qualifications. And right now, God is stirring in you. Listen, here's here's what we want you to do. Would you let us know? Would you let us know? If the Holy Spirit is stirring in you, even if it sounds crazy, (laughs) come say that. Say, Jason, this is gonna sound crazy because you know me and last thing I am is a church leader, but I feel like God's called me to be a church leader. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Love to. Right, that allows us to know what God's doing in your life. And some of you, we can already see it. You just haven't seen it. So if you don't come to us, we'll give you about six months and we're gonna come to you. Like, hey, we see this gifting in you. And you may not see it in yourself, but this is what God is doing in you. Listen, we just wanna have the conversation. We wanna know where you're at. But this is where we're gonna land today on this particular thing. I realize that not everybody sitting here today is a Christian. I realize that. Hey, and we're thankful you're here. Really, we are. We never want you to feel like we are not grateful that you've come to join us today. But here's what we want you to know. Listen, this is not a call to be a better person. This is an invitation into a relationship with a better person, and that's Jesus himself. That's what we're here to do. We're not, we're not here to inspire you to be a better version of you. We want to introduce you to somebody who is better than all of us, and his name is Christ. And this is the one and the only one who was worthy enough to lay his own life down in my place and in your place. And that's what the cross is about. He went to the cross. He laid down his life to bear the sins of the world. Well, where did the sins of the world come from? (laughs) Jokers like us. He bore our sins on the cross. That by trusting in him, you and I would have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And to know that he is powerful enough to do that, he resurrected from the grave to show you, listen, I've overcome sin, I've overcome death. I can do this. What I'm asking you to do, I can do it. Just trust in me. Hey, if that's you, listen, we want you to make a decision to trust in Christ today. We're not gonna pretend like we're, we're not gonna sneak that up on you. That's what we want for you. Because in that, you're gonna find eternal hope 
in that you're going to find eternal joy, in that you're going to find real meaning and purpose. And so today, as we sing in just a moment, if that's you, would you grab one of our prayer partners? Listen, you don't have to have it all figured out. All you say is, listen, I want to know more about becoming a Christian today. Could you, could you go talk with me somewhere about this? And they'll take you in one of our prayer rooms and answer as many questions as they can and, and pray with you about making this decision, okay? Let's pray together. And then our worship team comes up. Um, our prayer partners are gonna come forward and let's, let's respond. Father, we thank you for this beautiful portrait of the church that you've painted for us today. God, in it we see uh, the, the true purpose of church leadership and why leadership exists. And God, we're so thankful that you've given to Solid Rock Church godly men and women to serve and to lead. And at the same time, God, just taking you at your word, we know that there are others among us who are being called to serve and to, and to lead. And we know that part of that process is, is being equipped. And so, God, we need your Holy Spirit to make that transaction, God, to, to introduce us to one another, to, to allow us to see what you're doing, God, that we could equip the saints for the work of ministry, God. So, Father, now would you send your Holy Spirit to work among us, to stir our hearts, to speak to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.